have been in the middle of our super series, and uh, we've been uh, going through and just talking about superheroes and looking at them and using that as a fun just way of connecting our sermon together. And uh, so it's been an absolute blast doing that. And so we've been doing giveaways during out the super series. Um, Waynesburg struggled a little bit uh, with the superheroes, superheroes that we kicked it off at the beginning with. Um, uh, you know, I was like, who's the superheroes? And it was just kind of cricket. So hopefully we've gotten a little bit more excitement. Maybe you've watched some superhero movies, gotten excited about that. If you haven't, it's okay. I got to hang out with a bunch of nerds in Newport News last night that like superhero movies, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but so we do have some giveaways today. I've got two giveaways, and uh, one of them, um, I actually want to give it to Pastor Fred. <laughs> Pastor Fred, we got it's a little $10 iTunes uh, gift card. So here's the deal. I wanted to give it to Pastor Fred for two reasons. One, he's always giving things away, and he never gets to get a gift, right? And so I was like, he needs to get a gift. And two, he's got a shirt with Superman taking a selfie as he's flying through the air. I mean, that's just a cool shirt right there. It's just an awesome shirt. I really respect that shirt. I was like, man, I like that. So, and then uh, I've got right here, um, this right here is the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I grew up in a um, uh, legalistic, charismatic um, home in the 80s and 90s. And so, um, so I didn't get to watch a lot of, of, of cartoons and superheroes and all that fun stuff. I'm just, my parents are here. That's why I said that. And so, um, um, so, you know, I didn't really get into superheroes until the first Batman came out when they redid that. And that's when I really, that was, I was like, dude, I could like superhero movies. And uh, so I like this. So uh, The Dark Knight Rises is a great movie. And so I'm going to give this to Brie because she's rocking out a cool superhero shirt. And uh, not only is she rocking the cool shirt, but... Uh, She's here on a weekly basis, and uh, her and her entire family, man, they're just so incredible the way they serve, but uh, uh, she came in with smiles doing that, and she truly is a superhero nerd, and so she likes those things, and so she's okay with me saying that, too. Well, hey, so um, we're going to go ahead and jump into this series um, and um, to this message today. I'm going to do the best that I can to maintain my voice. Um, this pollen has been just, uh, just been a mess. You know, I've been joking. I've been fighting the yellow uh, smoke monster all week. And um, so we'll see how, what happens here. It held up most of the night last night, so we'll just go on it. So, so like I said, we've been in this uh, conversation uh, about superheroes, and the sermon series is super. And uh, the reason that we called it super is, is because of this idea of excess, that when you look at the stories of superheroes, you see this excessive quality in these people. And so uh, we, that's the direction we went, and we thought it was fun, and uh, there are nerds on our staff, and so we thought it was awesome. And so, uh, so we've been doing that. So we've been having this conversation about excess. And, and the reality of the conversation is this, is that you and I each were created for excess, that we were created to live excessive lives, that we were created to be able to experience excess, to know excess, and to live excessively. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we see this. It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. What it's saying here in this is there's no law against these. There is no limit to these things. That these things, if we allow them to be, can be as excessive in our life as they could possibly be. That we could be people that can live a life of excessive love. We can be people that excessively forgive. We can be people that excessively understand kindness and goodness. So much so that people actually see it and notice it of us. That we can be people that are distinct in how we excessively live in those things. That it stands out, that it's 
different from the rest of the world. That we're able to forgive and go beyond what anybody thinks is even forgivable. Even if we look at it and say, it is unforgivable, but I'm still willing to forgive anyway. I'm still love, willing to love anyway. I'm still willing to be kind. I'm still willing to be gentle. That sense of excessiveness is present and is something that is able. In the message translation, it says this. It says, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And what it's saying is, it's, it, not only is there's no limit to these things, but you're actually able through the power of the Holy Spirit to take those things, put them into direction, to marshal them, to put them into focus and function so that you can live an excessive life for God. And so this is the life that God has for us. Also in Galatians chapter 5, we can see the counteraction of this. We see that if we submit our lives to the Lord and we live our lives out through the Holy Spirit, we see these excessive qualities that are options for us that are ways that we can live our lives. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, we can see a completely opposite lift. That if we give to our natural tendencies, that if we just do what we want to do and we surrender to ourselves, that we will live lives of immorality and just, it's a bad list. You don't want to be on that list. And not only are you not just going to be on that list, but if we live that way, that we live our lives in a way that we will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. That if we are living for ourselves and we're excessive in the things that the world has to offer, that we're apart from God now and we will be apart from him forever. But if we live excessively for him, that we get to walk in his presence now and we get to experience the excessiveness and goodness and greatness of who he is forever and all of eternity. That is the reality that we are looking at. That's the tension that we see. And so we see that we're able to live for excess, that we are created for excess. And the problem isn't this capacity for excess. The problem is, is when this capacity is misdirected, when the desire for excess is misdirected towards an insufficient satisfaction. See, when we get to this place that we find ourselves where we say, you know what, I, I understand we feel the sense of living big and, and we got these big dreams and big ideas and we can feel and, and, and just have this sense in ourselves that, man, I know I'm made for more. I should be able to do more. I want to experience more. In relationships, we get into, I want more from this relationship. That, that thing inside of us, it's natural. But the problem is... It's not that drive. It's not that longing that's within us. It's when we decide to allow that thing to be satisfied by something that's insufficient. And that's where we find ourselves in trouble. And that's where we get into issues. So the point of this is, is that we can seize this capacity for excess within us for good. Or we can allow it to be used fraudulently. And then we see this in the story of the superheroes. We can see that in a superhero's life that this capacity for excess, we see them living these big lives and they've got this potential to do these incredible things. We see them doing it and using that for good. And then we see in the villains, we see them using this capacity for excess for wrong, for evil. And so we see that in these superheroes' lives and we see that played out in many different ways. And so the question we're answering in this series is, if we are made for excess, if you and I have this capacity for more, then how am I going to use that capacity? What kind of superhero am I going to be? And so for the past couple of weeks, we've looked at our, uh, our, you know, how we can turn this desire, this tendency that can be caught up and satisfied in eating and spending. So we've looked at it the past two weeks, and today we're going to look at how we can turn our work into an excessively lived life for God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, so I've just got two questions for you real quick. How many of you, you absolutely love your jobs? You love your jobs. You think it's an amazing job. You just, it's awesome. You're just, okay, great. Now, how many of you, you hate? 
hate your job. You think it's awful. You hate your alarm clock because it wakes you up for your job. All right, great. And all of you that didn't raise your hands, all right, you know where you are, and we just lumped you into the second category, just so you know, all right? And so it, we, we have jobs. We all have work, right? So let's look at today how this excessive idea, how this idea of overworking can get played out in our lives and why we have that tendency and what that tendency really could be used for. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we just come to you in this moment, and we just ask, Lord, that you be with us. Father, we ask that you just speak to us and that you give us direction and guidance. Father, we pray in this moment, Lord, that you speak to us and you reveal to us your intentions, your dreams for our life. God, in this moment, may we find the place where we are in you that becomes the launch pad, that becomes the starting place, that becomes the foundation of how we can live our lives excessively for you. God, reveal to us our tendencies. Show us what really takes place in our own hearts and our minds and help us, God, to turn those things towards you so that we can live for you, know you, and honor you. Thank you, Father. Amen. So work. Whether we love it or hate it, we all have to work for the most part. And if you don't have to work, we don't like you, and you can just do whatever. So, but... So each of it, we have to work. And, and, and I went through and I did a bunch of study and I looked at a bunch of articles. And man, I really, we could sit here and I could bore you to death with statistics because it is insane how much it's even being studied because overworking is a reality in our culture. Um, it is something that is more than present. You can see it in every aspect of our lives. Um, you can see it in every aspect of our homes and our communities. We overwork as a culture. And there are so many studies out there that show how we're doing that. But the reality is, it's not just us, it's not just our culture. Overworking is a world phenomenon, and it's not just a 21st century issue, it's been a world issue. We overwork. We really just commit ourselves to overworking. But the, even if the numbers don't convince you and you say, you know what, you can go through all the stats and you can do all the stuff, and luckily this morning for you, I'm not gonna do that, all right? And so all of you that don't like stats, you can smile, I'm not gonna do that. Um, a lot. So you know, whether the numbers convince you or not, we can see the reality that we do. We overwork. We spend ourselves in working. We can see it in our culture, how we value different things, the way we talk about things. You can see it in our commercials. During the Olympics not too long ago, Cadillac, they released this commercial. Uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was this, you know, this dude, he was in his 60s. He's the guy that we all want to be in our 60s, you know, and like he's this super, you know, this cavalier guy just walking with a smooth walk, and he's got the deep, sexy voice, and he's just kind of walking, you know, out of his beautiful house, and he's got, you know, this nice pool, and it keeps flashing back from him, you know, to his house and to his stuff, and he's walking towards this luxurious Cadillac, and, and, and throughout the whole thing, he's sitting there, and he's talking about different cultures where they don't work as much as Americans do. So he starts talking about Americans and how much we work and how much we're committed to our work. And so he goes through all this different stuff and even makes fun. He goes, and even some cultures, they take an entire month off. And I was like, um, where's that culture at? Like, what country is that, you know? And I found there's actually a bunch of, they take the whole month of August off. I was like, wow, that's phenomenal. Um, and so, they, I mean, they take the whole month off. And so he's like making fun of it, you know, and there's all this different stuff. And so he goes to get in his car and he goes, but in Americans, we know that hard work gets us our stuff. 
And he gets in his car, and I was like, are you serious? That's the most depressing commercial I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, and so I was just like, you've got to be kidding. And then we've all seen the, you know, the credit card commercial, you know, where the kids are shaming parents for not taking their vacation days, you know. And it's like, just one more day, you know. And you're like, that's so cute, you know. And, but it really is heartbreaking because it's the truth is that we are overworking ourselves. We're way more committed to work than we are to rest. And that's the reality of our culture. In fact, as I was going through and looking at some different things, I found out that we are the only country out of the top 20 developed economies in the world that does not have a set number of days off required for employees. And this isn't just full-time. This is for anybody that works. Anybody that works, right? Even at a fast food place. Every other country in the top 20 uh, economies, they all have a requirement of at least 20 days off for every worker, except for three. Canada, which has 19, Japan, which has 10, and the United States, you know how many we have? Zero. We're the only, I mean, zero. Now, of course, most of us with our jobs, we have times off, but those cultures, literally, it's just like, hey, you work, you get time off. That's the way it is. Our culture, we have such a different mindset. You work, and then you work, and then you work, and if you get a day off, great. If you take a vacation day off, well, we might look down on you for that, but we'll kind of give them to you anyways, right? I mean, that's our culture. That's the way it is. That's the tendency of what is present. This stat just blew me away as well. It says, as Americans, we're either on or monitoring work through our mobile devices, an average of, get this, 88 and a half hours a week. So we work 40 hours a week. And this is a study where they sat down with people and literally said, what do you do? And between work and between their phones at home and monitoring emails and monitoring all the apps that we now have so that we can see stats and see all this, 88 and a half hours a week is what the average American is working right now. That is mind-blowing when you look at that and see all those things going on. So the question is, is that's the reality. We don't need to be convinced of it. Many of us in this room are already sitting there saying, yeah, that's me. Or we're saying, yep, that's my husband. And so, you know, we, we got that going on. Or we can say, yep, that's somebody in my family. We understand the idea of overworking. But why do we overwork? What's the reason that we overwork? Well, we overwork because we have a misdirected desire of excess. See, you and I, you and I, we were created to do excessively good things. You and I, we were created to do excessively great things. You were created to be excessively productive and excessively successful. We were created and have this life within us to do a ton, to accomplish a lot, to experience a lot. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That's a little plug for Pastor Fred's sermon next week, which is oversexing. And govern it. They laughed a lot better at Newport News. <laughs> Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Listen, we were made for work. We were made for a lot of work. Work is something that God created us for, and work should be something that we find pleasure in. It should be, find some, should be something that we find joy in. It should be something that we are satisfied in doing for God. Whatever our job is and wherever we are, it's something that we should find enjoyment in, but we've allowed the capacity for excess work, excessive work. We've allowed the capacity for that in our lives to be satisfied by something less than the work God has for us. And that's where we find ourselves is, is that we've been satisfied by something else other than the work that God has for us. So how does that happen? What allows us to get into that place? For some of us, our need, our material need has become our satisfaction. 
We carry multiple jobs and we've got everybody in the family working so that, they can have a, so that we can have a certain level of lifestyle. Or maybe it's just to make ends meet. We're just doing everything we can but our need. But making sure that the bills are paid. Making sure that we've got food. Making sure that we've got all the things set up that we want to have set up. And you can even lump in all of the extracurricular things that we do so that we can, we got to work so that we can pay for all of those things. We're busy and we're overworking ourselves so that we can have a need met. And there's nothing wrong with stuff, and that's another sermon for another day. There's nothing wrong for enjoyment. That's another sermon for another day. But when we get caught up in the sense that we're satisfied in life by our provisions being met, we're missing the mark. When we're walking out and we're saying, my need, as long as my need's met, I'm good. As long as my bills are being paid, I'm happy. As long as my, there's food on the table and my kids are being you know, fed, I'm happy. Our satisfaction is not in our needs being met. Our satisfaction should be in doing what God's given us an opportunity to do. See, most of us, what we're doing is in this overworking capacity, this overworking interest, the reality is, is that we find ourselves in this rhythm. We find ourselves in this place where we're just making it through the week and we just crash into our Saturdays or we just crash into our Sundays. And we're just like, thank God that week's over and I just cannot believe that it's going to start again on Monday. And, and we're just exhausted and we're burned out. And instead of serving in life, we're just surviving in life. God does not want us to live our lives that way. He does not just want us to survive. God wants to live, uh, uh, he wants us to be living our lives excessively bold for him, excessively big for him. He wants us to be full on for him. He wants us to know joy and peace and patience. He wants us to know fruitfulness. He wants us to know goodness and kindness and love. He wants us to not only know those things, but extend those things out. But we can't do it because we're exhausted. We're burned out. We're just surviving in our jobs. Our job should be a place where we daily fulfill our calling to serve our neighbor and work with God in his loving care for the world. You need to see that your job is important to other people. Your job is important to God. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where you are. If you are somebody that works in retail and you, you're just out there, I'm telling you, people enjoy somebody who loves doing what they're doing. When I go to a Best Buy and I walk around and I see that person's just surviving, they're just there for a paycheck, I run from that person because I know that person's getting ready to lie to me. They have no clue what they're getting ready to talk to me about. And two, they're going to be grumpy about it the entire time. And you go through a drive through and somebody's just there and they just hate their job. You can tell, but when somebody's there and they're just thankful they have a job, you can tell the difference. Last night when I got off work, I went through and I got some food um, at McDonald's. That was a sermon for last week, so we moved past that. So, but, um, you know, so everyone, I, got, I got food at McDonald's and, you know, I went through. And the first guy that was there, like when he was taking my order, I couldn't understand him because he just didn't want to be there. Like he was just mumbling. He was just kind of like whatever. And then when I got to the next window, the girl that was there, she was just like, hey. And it actually ended up being my neighbor. And I didn't even know that she worked there. And she's like, hey. And she's just talking to me. She's like, you know, just bubbling, you know, and I'm just like, I didn't know you, I just got the job, I'm so excited, it's my first job, you can tell, your job, it matters to other people, and it matters to God, God can use you to communicate to somebody in an incredible moment that you don't even realize, so whatever your job is, it's your job, but you have to look at it a little bit different, so let me speak real quickly to somebody, if you're in here and you say, hey, I hate my job, even if you love your job, you can listen to this, because this is important for all of us is that if you hate your job, you need to see that your job is important to other people and your job's important to God. Amen. And you need to look at it this way, 
Is that this work that you have to do, yeah, it's going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. Things are just not going to be fun. You know, if you're in construction, the ground is hard. If you're a farmer, the ground is hard. Weather doesn't cooperate, you know. If you're a dancer, there's a thing called gravity, right? If you're, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in retail, there's a thing called stingy people, you know. Like, I mean, there's, there's, it's, work is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But don't look at the hardness of the work as anything determining anything in your life. Man, look at your job as opportunity that God has given you. Where you are could be the very place that God wants you to be. And actually, I shouldn't have said could be. It is the place that God has you to be. God has you where he has you right now. And that job could be a job that you have. And you say, man, the work is hard. I don't even enjoy the work. But God says, don't worry about that. There's a work I'm doing in you that is more important than anything else. And this is exactly where I need you because there's something in your character that I need to bring to the surface so that we can deal with. There's a quality within you that you don't even realize yet. And when you give yourself to this job, you're going to figure out the talent and the qualities that you have so that you can give them for my use. Your work is a place that God has you so he can do some work in you. And you say, you know what? I don't think, I mean, yeah, I get that. I've been there. I passed that. God's done all that work and I'm still there. Then there's a work that somebody else needs for them to have in their lives. And God has put you there so that God can do the work in their life through you. Your job is a place that God has you so that you can live your life full on for God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Our work is our worship. It's our daily opportunity to walk in his presence. Our work should not be to meet a need. Our work should be to be in his presence and do the work that he has for us to do. If we walk into the doors of our jobs, not with a mindset that says, okay, I'm just here. When is it going to be 4 o'clock? But if we walk into it and say, God, what do you have today? What do you want to do today in my life? What do you want me to do in somebody else's life? I'm telling you, that job's going to turn around for you. And it's not just going to be something you exist in. It's not going to be something you just survive in. It's going to be something that you live in and that you live for. And God can use you for big things in those places. Secondly, The validation we find in our work has become our satisfaction. And the validation could be a number of things. It could be the paycheck. It could be the promotions. It could be your boss just recognizing you. It could be people just noticing you. You know, for me, and, you know, I text um, and uh, my mom, I was talking to her. I was like, hey, mom, I was trying to cheat a little bit and help out in my sermon. But I was like, uh, when, when I was 12, I started cutting grass, um, 12, 13, somewhere around there. I started cutting grass for a lady across the street. And, um, and the lady across the street, she was just right over there. I started cutting her grass, and I, she, she paid me, what, 8 or $10 or something like that a week. It was not worth really cutting the grass. Um, but when you're that age, 8 or $10, whatever, you're buying bubble gum anyways, you know? And so, um, and so like, uh, uh, or secretly buying you know, candy cigarettes behind your mom's back, you know? And so, um, and so, so you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I was doing. So I was just doing that, and I, I can't remember her name. I thought it would be super cool if I remember her name, and I could make it super sentimental, you know, and just like, oh, she was so awesome. We had these great conversations. But, you know, I don't remember her name. And so, and mom failed and didn't give me her name in time. So, we got, <laughs> I love you so much. Um, and so, so anyway, so I cut her grass. And, and one of the things that I found as I was cutting the grass is, is that I would go through and, you know, at, at that time, it was just kind of a chore. Um, and I just got it done. And, and uh, but one of the fun things is when I was done cutting the grass, she would invite me in and she would give me cookies and, you know, lemonade. And we would just sit there and talk. 
Well, then she told somebody else about me, so I ended up cutting that lady's grass. And I ended up cutting three or four yards at the same time. And I had these, all these times where I was just sitting there and I was just hanging out with these older ladies and just talking with them, you know, and just hanging out with them. I mean, there's this little punk, you know, little preteen boy, you know, just hanging out with these old ladies and just talking with them and stuff. And, and really, I mean, I started feeling good about that because, like, they would talk about how great I did, you know, and they'd just be like, oh, you did so good. You worked so hard. You picked up all the leaves. And, you know, they'd say all this different stuff. And, you know, and, and, and that moment, what I was missing was, is that I have a gift, I have a capacity to connect with people and relate with people. But what I was pulling away from it was, is that I feel good, I feel noticed, I feel recognized in what I'm doing. See, because the reality is, is in my life at that time, I was not the most athletic kid. I was super scrawny. I was super awkward. I was beginning to step into the awkward, just intense acne phase of life, you know? And so, you know, I mean, that's where I was. I wasn't super secure in who I was. You know, I was the kid in the youth group that, you know, I wasn't on the band. I couldn't do any of those things. I was the kid that, that they put me on the, you know, equipment management side of things whenever we did a trip or you know, instead of putting me in the dramas unless they wanted me to be Satan so they could beat me up, you know. And that's like, that's where I was, you know. And so, and like, I, for me, like, I, I, just, I just wanted to be noticed. I, I just wanted to be seen. And so I, I found out that I have a strong work ethic and I can work hard. And so when I was 15, I got my first job and I started working at a restaurant and I would get the dishes done super fast. And then the owner's just like, man, he works really hard. And he started noticing that. And so then as I started doing that and I started moving up, the order that I got, the more they could put me in, I was moving up because I worked hard. And really, I wasn't even caring about the money. I was worried about the recognition. I was worried about the validation. And so what happened is, is I started doing my job for the wrong reasons and the wrong things. And the voice that I could have had to speak into people's lives, instead I was allowing people to speak into my life. So you know what happened is, is they started directing me. And they started moving me away from the things that God had for me. And they started moving me into the things that I had for myself. And when we get into this place where we're going through and our job becomes our validation, we're satisfied in whatever recognition we get from our job. We move into a place, we compromise our life, and then we start living our lives for ourselves instead of living our lives for God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that your master you are serving is Christ. Man, our validation should be in him and the reward that he has for us. Our life should be found in him. Thirdly, the identity our career gives, the identity our career gives us has become our satisfaction. Now, this can be the same as the validation in the sense that that it's about being noticed, it's being seen, but when it becomes your identity, it's not just about being noticed, it's about being known. You know, when you go and you talk to people and you start talking with them, and, and the first way they describe themselves is, is, I am a doctor, you know, or hi, you know, I, I'm, I'm Jamie, I'm a pastor. And then as you begin to talk to them, you see that their career is everything to them, that their career is their life, it's their identity. And then as you talk to them, you get to know them. And I, I mean, I've had conversations like this with people that you go into it and it, it takes a long time. But after a couple weeks or a couple months of getting to know them, you're like, oh, you're married? <laughs> Didn't even know that. You know, or oh, you have kids? Wow, I had no clue. You know, and, and you go through and you see that their career is their identity. That they're completely caught up and engulfed what they're going to do in this life. And they're focused on their career. They're given God opportunities in this life to live things out for him and God-given responsibilities and those things become secondary to their career. It becomes a place where you say, I'm going to give myself to my career. You become a careerist and so you put your job before your marriage or you put your job before parenting or you put your job before working in the church. You put your job before serving in the community. You put your job before and you can give the list and on and on and on. 
because you found yourself to be known as who you are in the sense of what you do instead of who God is and what he's done. And so you misdirect yourself. You put yourself in a place where you're satisfied by being known for that and all the things that come with it instead of saying, I just know who I am because God is my God and I've given myself to him. So here's the problem with all of this. We're going to walk through some problems and then we're going to give a solution. So here's the problem with this is these are some of the reasons as to why we overwork. These are some of the reasons as to why we, we give ourselves to our job. We, we get to a place where we're just caught up, we're busy, and our schedules are just slammed full with all kinds of stuff. These are some of the reasons that we do that. And the problem isn't overworking, overworking itself, overwalking. There's a problem with that. But overworking, it's not, it's not the, the, the sense of just working too much is the problem. The problem is, is that when we overwork, we're putting ourselves on a slippery sole, on a slippery, whatever it is. So there we go. Slippery slope. And we're putting our souls at risk because we're allowing our spiritual lives to slip away in the busyness of everything. And that's, that's the real problem. It's not that, you know what, man, I, I'm just not doing these things well. It's that you literally are letting yourself slip away. Who God sees you to be, who you can be in God, what you can do in God. You're letting those things slip away when you give yourself to your work instead of the work that God has for you. We see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest. Now, if you can, I've done this in my Bible, and I've done this here. If you can, in your Bibles, or do it later, go back through. Uh, underline the word remember, and we're going to talk about that and hit that here in a little bit. Underline the word six days, and then underline for your ordinary work, and underline seventh day, and then underline rest. Now, I'm not going to preach on this because this is a different sermon for a different day, but I find it incredibly interesting that God tells us we have six days for work and we have one day for rest. Now, the reality is, is that sometimes, and this is becoming a bigger issue in the church, it's becoming a bigger issue in our culture, is that sometimes we over-elevate rest. We're going to talk about what that means here in a minute. We're going to give some parameters to that. But we get to a place where we're focused on rest and we're so caught up in not doing anything that we never focus on the importance of work. And I'm just going to throw this out there. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, God cares deeply about the work that you do. God does not want you just to be an idle person in this world. He doesn't want you just existing. He doesn't want you just sitting in a chair. He wants you active. He wants you flourishing. He wants you doing work. And he wants you to do it appropriately. And that's why he put a day of rest in its place. To help keep that in frame. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's another sermon for another day. Seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. So this word remember, when I looked at it here, I was just like, all right, so if he's saying remember, there's just a couple things that stood out to me. Of course, in Exodus chapter 20, maybe you know this, is that this is the list of the Ten Commandments. And, and, and many of us know the Ten Commandments. We've seen them somewhere if we've never read them in the Bible. One of the things that stood out to me as I was going through and looking at this is, is that every other commandment starts off with you must. You must, you must. This commandment starts off with remember. There's only one other commandment that doesn't start off with you must, and it's the one talking about our parents. And it says honor, and it starts off with the word honor. But every other commandment starts off with you must, but this one starts off with remember. 
And that's a powerful thing to look at. And, and, and I was just like, okay, so if he's saying remember, why are we to remember? What is this to do? What is this to look like? So Exodus chapter 16, you can look at it with me on the screen. Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. See, this verse right here, what this is, is the Israelites have been walking around the desert. They've been wandering through the desert and just kind of trying to figure things out and following God. And they got to a place where they were hungry, they were thirsty, they were just complaining. You know, I was joking around last night. They got to a place where they were just hangry. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like so hungry, you're angry, and you're willing to like sacrifice anything for a biscuit. You know, like, I mean, that's where they were. You know, you're at a restaurant, you're just like, I need to eat now. And they can't bring the free bed fast enough, you know. And so you're judging your server and you're just yelling at them. I need bread, you know? And, and, and that's where they were. They were just hungry. They were hangry. And so they're in this place of just like, uh, God, you're, you're bailing on us. You're not helping us out here. I'm super hungry. So God provides for them manna and quail falling from the sky. Bread and meat falling from the sky. So God provides for them in this midst. And in the midst of that, God gives them this command. And the interesting thing is, is that God gives them this command because of two reasons. One he is showing them, hey, listen, you were in a season of lack. You were in a season and a place where you didn't have enough and you were complaining. And I'm the one that's going to provide for you. And you're getting ready to step into a place where you're going to have more than you need. You're going to be in a place of excess. You're going to be a place where there's so much available to you that you can forget that it's me who provides for you. So he says to them, hey, you need to take a day and you need just to set it apart and you need just to rest. You need to be in a place where you're not doing anything. So what he did to him is he told him, like, hey, Monday through Friday, just get what you need for dinner that night. Take care of it. You're good, right? And everything's going to be good. Don't keep more than you should because if you do, it's going to be a bad thing for you. Your tent's going to smell. There's going to be maggots everywhere. You're not going to be happy about it, so don't do it, right? Of course, there's the knuckleheads that didn't listen, you know, and so they started collecting up. They learned the hard way. But on Saturday, I want you to do this. On Saturday, I want you to collect enough for Saturday and Sunday so that you can rest on Sunday. And, and this baffled them. This didn't make any sense. Why does it work on Saturday, but it doesn't work on Monday? That doesn't make any sense. But God set it up that way, and he set up the Sabbath that way for us so that we could see that we need to trust in his work more than we trust in our own work. That there's this place that we can get to where we're in this place where we're just like, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And so we're just working and working and working and working and we're just doing everything we can. And then all of a sudden one day it's provided for us. And then we start finding excess and we start saying, yeah, yeah, I got, I got, I got. And we start doing more and more and more and more just to get more and more. So we get in these places that we think that our work is what makes the difference. It's not our work that makes the difference. It's God who provides the needs. And when we're in a place where we can stop and we rest and we Sabbath, we take a day in our week and we put ourselves and we say, I'm not going to do anything. What it's doing is, is saying, I trust in God's work way more than I trust in my own work. I'm putting myself in a place where I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to worry about my needs. I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm just going to be satisfied in God because God is the one that's going to provide for all of my needs. So this is a powerful thing because especially in this time, I mean, for them, this was a huge thing because what this was really doing is, is God was not just setting up a boundary for them to protect them, but God was also marking them as his. 
Because in their time, they would go through and, it, and, and if, I mean, you weren't doing everything you can. You weren't hustling to get some stuff done. Um, you know, you, you weren't going to be able to take care of your family. And so, I mean, you had to work seven days a week, sun up, a sundown. You had to go through. And so every other culture, to watch another culture say, man, they're not, a whole day where they're not working, it marked them as different. It set them apart. So listen, God wants us to be able to rest in his work and not our work so that we can know that he's the one that provides and so that we can be reminded and remember that we are his, that we are marked as his children, that we are known as his children. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Here's the other reason it says remember. Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So, I don't know, I, you know, I got a cynical mind and I'm a little bit difficult sometimes. But whenever I read Genesis and I read that and it says that God rested on the seventh day. Have you ever just sat there and said, what about the eighth day? Like, have you ever thought about that and said, what about the eighth day? Like, has God been in this perpetual, like, chill mode for, you know, ever? You know, like, since day six, he's just been like, I'm cool, I'm just relaxed, I'm just hanging out, no big deal. You know, I mean, have you ever really thought about that and just considered it? Because I'm just like, what's going on here, you know? And so I found this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom. Here it is, long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in the last days. Listen, God rested on the seventh day, on the eighth day. The moment that man took a breath on his own and said, I don't need God. From that moment on, God has been at work redeeming us and claiming us as his own. God has been at work and he's been active. And so we look at this and we see that God is giving us a gift and he's given us a model that we get to follow. And so if we look at it this way here and we get to, uh, to see the model that he set out for us is this. Is that God, as you look here in 1 Peter, it says that you were chosen. And he did this long ago. See, listen, God, in his wisdom and all of his knowledge, he sat there and he was at such pleasure in his plan. He was so just, just at ease and at peace and delighted in the creation of the world. And that meant everything. Not just that was there in front of him, but God saw all of eternity. God saw where you were. He saw us sitting here right now. And he was so delighted in his plan. He was so delighted in the work that he can, he's going to do in your life. And that through him, the work that you're going to do in this world. He was so delighted in those things that he sat down and he rested. And he was at peace and he was at joy. He was at delight with all that was going to happen. And he chose you. And he identified you and said, I'm going to do something in you. God has been working and he's been doing all kinds of things and that includes you. And so if you got any sense of needing validation, if you need any sense of identity, you should walk away with this sense of that I am God's. I am his. He has chosen me. Long before the world even began, he knew it was going to happen and he took pleasure in it and he took joy in it and he had me as a part of it and God rested and he said, listen, I know what's going to happen. I'm sitting here on day seven and I know what Adam and Eve are getting ready to do and I know all that's going to happen and all that's going to take place from this point on. I know what's going to happen, and I'm able to rest because I know that I'm in control. 
So the Sabbath is a day of a model that we get to follow that God himself set up, that there's a day where we stop and we say, whatever's going on, all the chaos that's going on in our life, all the the, the things that seem to be falling apart, the things that just aren't working out, we're able to stop and rest and say, God, you're in control. That's what the Sabbath is about, is just to take a day and say, you are in control. You are God. You're working all things out. You have a plan, and you know what it is, and you can find joy in the things you're doing. So, God, I'm going to find joy in the things that you're doing. And this, it's a gift to us as well. It's a gift to us as well, is that it frees us to do the work he has for us. See, God, our tendency when we get into this, when we get into this mode, into this, this place where we're just crashing into our days off, and we're just like, oh, I'm exhausted is we get into this place where we just want to go through and we just want to rest from our work. And God is saying, listen, I want you to not just rest from your work. I want you to work from your rest. I want you to work from a place of freedom. I want you to go into your Monday not exhausted and burnt out. I want you to go into your Monday full of life and vigor. I don't want you to go through your week just sitting there saying, I just want it to be done. I want you to go through your week saying, I can't believe I get to do this. Because you found yourself in a place of freedom on your Sabbath day. You found yourself able to do what God wants you to do. You found yourself saying, it's not about me. I I don't need to provide for myself. God's going to provide for me. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, he says, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. I mean, don't worry about those things. I've got that stuff taken care of. Seek the kingdom of God first. That's what God's saying to us. Just do that. Just seek me. And I'm telling you, I will take care of everything else. When you don't have to worry about your needs, that's pretty freeing, isn't it? When you don't have to worry about the fact that you are nobody. You just say, I am somebody. I'm chosen by God. The creator of the universe knows who I am. I have an identity in him. All that I'm doing and all that he wants me to do, that is my validation. I am at a place where I am free to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm no longer in bondage. I'm no longer caught, caught up in, I got to get this task done. And I, gotta, I, get, I get to do this. Man, I get to go to this place. I get to speak to this person. When I do this task, it means this is going to happen. And I get to walk in this place of freedom. It's a gift that God has given us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Come on, that was good stuff. You guys are way too quiet. 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And he's given you the gift of freedom. And Sabbathing, resting is a chance for us to know that freedom and experience that freedom. To walk in that gift. That is the gift that God's given us. So, how do we Sabbath? How do we rest? Let's talk through a couple practical things real quick. And then we'll wrap this day up. Since we're talking about resting, I'm going to sit down and rest a little bit. So resting, taking a Sabbath, what this is about, it's about repositioning ourselves in God's presence, seeing things from his perspective, from his lens. It's about taking our time and putting it in God's hands. It's about redeeming our time, using it appropriately, using it for God's purposes. One person, they said this, they said, hey, you know, it's just crazy that we, we do so many things and we work so hard to steward our money, to, to manage our money well. 
But when it comes to time, we just throw it out the window. Money can be created. Wealth can be created. Time is here and then it's gone. There's going to be a place where you have to stop and you have to say, I've wasted time. I've just wasted time because I haven't rested. Because I haven't rested in who God is. I haven't rested in what he's done. See, the problem is, is we don't have this work problem. Is we have a rest problem. It's not just the fact that we can't rest, we can't take a day off. It's the fact that we can't rest in the fact that God is God and he's got all things in control. I can't rest in his faithfulness. I can't rest in his goodness. I can't rest in his provisions. I can't rest. And so because I can't rest in God, I have to do things. I have to work. And that is the wrong place to be. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child of God, you have a place to rest where there's no concern for need. You have a place to rest where you can know peace and joy and love. You have a place where you can know freedom. You can rest in his arms. And because you can rest in his arms, he's given you a place and a purpose in resting. And that's in our Sabbath. It's taking a day, redeeming that time. So a Sabbath, it should be a day. It should be a day that we can set apart. Like one guy said, it should be a 24-hour time period. Some people, because of their schedules and because of kids and all that different stuff, maybe for you, it could be an 18-hour period, and then it's three hours different throughout the week. But that shouldn't even then be a season. There should be able to be a place where you can take a day and you can just rest. It's a day where you set aside and you don't do your ordinary things. And I, what happens sometimes is, is when we elevate rest is, is because we don't Sabbath correctly. We, we have our own mindset. We have our own heart of what rest is. And so we just jump into that. And what we happens is we don't get fulfilled in that rest. We actually just get even more tired in that rest. So there's some things we've got to consider in how we Sabbath. So here they are. You need to take some time on your Sabbath day to do nothing. To do nothing. Just rest. Now, this shouldn't be something that you do all day on your Sabbath, and it shouldn't be something you do every time you Sabbath. Now, there's some days because of the season and because of what's going on, it's good just to take an entire day where you do absolutely nothing and just binge watch Netflix. Right? There's some days that you can do, that's a gift, right? Just to go and do it, you know? I asked last night, you know, I mean, there's, I just recently did it because the new Daredevil um, came out on Netflix. Has anybody watched that? It's pretty cool, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's times where you can just, you just don't do anything and you just rest. Now, that shouldn't be your every single Sabbath day, but there should be a part of every Sabbath day where you just don't do anything because it calms your spirit, it calms your mind, it settles things. And then once you need to go into from there is, is you need to have some time, even on the days where you just do nothing the whole day, you should still have a point where there's some reflective rest. You take time praying. You take time reading scripture. You take time worshiping God. You're intentional about inviting God into your time of rest because you're remembering and reminding yourself that he's the one that you're resting in. So you need to take some time to have some reflective rest. You need to have some recreational rest. You need to have a hobby, something that you give yourself to. Gives, now, and this could be work for other people, but for you, it's actually something that brings delight. It brings rest to your soul. For me, I really like going out. I like cutting grass. I like doing manual stuff. I like building things. You know, some people, that's their jobs. I wouldn't recommend that to be their, their rest. But for me, that's not my job. And so going out, doing things with my hands, working, cutting stuff, blowing things up, that's awesome. And it brings rest, right? And so 
don't, don't get to a place where you're just constantly, you're just doing other things, right? I mean, you can get to a place where you're doing that wrong either. But there, but there should be something that you can give yourself to that your mind just is able just to focus better. Because it's different. It's out of your ordinary. I mean, that's one of the things that's such a gift about serving in church is, is whatever your day of rest is, if today's your day of rest, it's one of the gifts of serving in church is it's different from what you do. You're able to step into it and you're able to give yourself and put your mind in a different place where you can just do and be something that you're not normally during the week. Give yourself to something. Find something that you can do that helps you just to say, man, God's given me a purpose in this world that's even bigger than I can imagine. It's bigger than just being this. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm a part of what he's doing, and he's given me gifts, and he's given me ideas. He's given me creative outlets. He's given me things to do that are just so mind-blowing, and they just make you think of God while you do them. And if you truly hate it, then don't do it, right? If you hate cutting grass, last night I was talking to somebody afterwards, and, you know, she's like, somebody leaned over to me and said, what about laundry? If you like doing laundry, do laundry, right? I don't know. If you hate it, don't do it, right? Like, no, I'm not doing laundry today, you know? And if laundry's not going to get done, you know? It'll get done at some point. You're going to be able to accomplish more if you rest appropriately than you'll be able to accomplish if you don't rest at all. You can reschedule your stuff, and this might be a process where you have to go through and you say, you know what, I'm going to redeem my time. with." That means I've got to cut some things out. There's some things that I've allowed into my life and into my family's schedule because I've allowed us to overwork ourselves. We've gotten busy because we've been satisfied in something other than the work God has for us to do. You've got to redeem that time, and you've got to figure that out and work into it. You need to include aesthetic rest. Walk out into the world. Go for a bike ride. Go for a run. Go for a walk. If you don't like those things, just ride in a car with the windows down on a nice day. You know, like do all kinds of things. I, I sent the invite out last night. I'll send it out again today. Go for a boat ride with Pastor Fred, you know. And like just, you know, just go out and just enjoy creation. Look at the world. Marvel at God. If you have kids, it's so easy to do to stop and look at a mud puddle, you know, and then you see things swimming around. The, the things that kids can notice, it's amazing. And, and your mind can just be blown at who God is and what he's done and how he's created this world and the gift that he's given us in this world. I mean, there should be a time where we just go out and just experience him. I, I talked about it a little bit last night. I remember a time where this became so real to me. It was a day of rest for me where I was just separating myself from my world when I was in college. And, you know, I, I was an RA and, and, um, uh, and I had a job and I was an intern at a church and I was volunteering all over campus. And, you know, I was trying to chase down, you know, every girl uh, that I could on campus and none of them liked me, you know, and I was in the constant friend zone. And my schedule was just full, you know, like it was just a lot of stuff and I was just tired, you know. And, and so I had to find a time just to rest and figure that out. And I remember just walking around the campus. It's a gorgeous campus. And I was walking around the campus and I remember it now. I came from behind the administrative building and the chapel was right here and there's this cul-de-sac driveway that goes out to the lake that's sitting right here. And there's this massive weeping willow tree that's right here. And I remember hearing the wind rustle through the leaves of that weeping willow tree. And I remember the wind hitting my face and I just began to weep and I just broke because I was just outside praying and just resting and enjoying God and his goodness. I, I looked at the chapel that was sitting right there. I mean, how many times I'd been in that chapel just begging and pleading to feel God's presence. And just because I was walking around and enjoying him and just acknowledging his goodness in that moment, I just felt him overwhelm me. 
there should be this place where you can find yourself in just knowing who God is and resting in that. Now, two little quick caveats that I'm going to give and we're going to wrap this up. Is you really need to consider your personality. Consider if you're an introvert or an extrovert and then talk to your spouse about what you are, right? If you're an introvert, the way that you rest is going to be completely different than the way an extrovert rests. If you have the personalities that Michelle and I do, you're going to find that, that it's going to be difficult to find ways to rest together. And so Michelle, she's an extreme introvert, and I'm an extreme extrovert. And the reality is, is that I rest and get energy and get filled completely different than she does. For me, I can spend the entire day playing basketball with the boys, running around, going, hanging out with my kids, having a full-on WrestleMania in the room, destroying everything, you know, then going for a bike ride and then swimming and then getting home and just eating mac and cheese for dinner and then watching something and then going to bed. And I wake up, man, on my Tuesday and I'm just like, oh, that was awesome. Now, if I tried to force Michelle into that day, that would be the most horrific day she could imagine. Because that's, that's not a day of rest for Michelle. Now, can she do the uh, stuff on other days? Sure, she loves doing that stuff. But that's not the way that she rests. She would go into her next day exhausted, worn out, burnt out, angry, and just, you know, which is not good because she's a preschool teacher. You know, and so, you know, you've, you've got to be able to find this way. What is your personality? What fills your tank? What, what, what really, who has God made you to be? And if, it's, if you need moments where you're just alone, then find moments where you're alone. I got little kids. There's no way I can do that. There's just no way alone time. Find some. Like I, I take the kids regularly out of the house so Michelle can just be there by herself. Because I know that's how she can recharge. That's how she can energize. I don't do it the whole day, but there's times that I do it the whole day. And there's times I do it for an hour or two because it recharges her. And then when I'm away with the kids, we're doing something crazy, it's recharging me. It's thinking through who we are and just really saying, I'm going to be strategic about this thing. I'm going to know who God's made me to be, and I want to find rest in him. I'm going to find a way to enjoy him and experience him the way he's created me. So, and then the other one is this. And I wrestled with whether or not I should give it, and last night I did, and I had two people come up, and they were just like, thank you for that, because I'm going exactly through this. There's some of us, because of our jobs that it's not possible for us to have a regular day of rest. Our, our culture and some jobs have a tendency towards just their schedules are built towards overworking. It's just the reality. There's no way around it. It is the job. If you're in residency, you know, and you're wanting to become a doctor or you're wanting to become whatever, you, you have to do what you have to do just to make your job. I mean, there's just no way around it. And so if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself where you have to be in a job or the way your job is set up is that you have to just overwork, you've got to do what you can to fight to make sure there is rest. If you're a resident and you're just like, I I'm working like 80 hours, 90 hours a week, and i got to be on call at any moment, that's just the way it is. That might be the way you're going to do it. Maybe you, you have a job, you're trying to do something, and you're, you're trying to create something, and, and you've just got to give yourself full on to it, and there's just no way to take a break because if you do, it's just not going to happen. If that's your job, if that's what it dictates, then you've got to understand and you've got to know that that has got to be a season for you. That if you can do that for a season and it gets you to the place that you need to be in your job, uh, you've fulfilled the things you need to fulfill, you've accomplished something, even if it's two or three years, that, that's okay. 
That makes sense. That's the way our culture is. That's the way our jobs are. But it has to be a season. It cannot be a lifestyle. Even if it's what your job mandates, it cannot be a lifestyle. You have to get to a place where you say, I've got to rest. And it might cost you something. It might cost you that promotion. It might cost you your job. It might, who knows. But you cannot, for the sake of your job, put your family at risk. Put your soul at risk. Put your church at risk. The gift that God has given you in his presence and the work he's called you to do in this world is way more important than a job. And if the job is willing to sacrifice your soul, you can't be willing to do the same. You've got to find a time where you can say, no, I have to rest because I'm his. He's got a purpose for me. He's got a place for me in this world. He's got a work for me to do in this world. And I can't know what it is and I can't know the fullness of it unless I've rested in his presence. Unless I've taken time to do what he has called me to do. And in that place that you are, it could be the very thing that God wants you to do to set you apart and to say, listen, I'm following God. I was just talking to a girl last night. She's just gotten an award for her job because she's doing so good at her job. And, and she's just talking about the demands that were on her life and the demands that her job has on her. And they just said, hey, listen, I know the end of the day is 3 o'clock for you, um, but you need to stay here because of some things that are coming up. You need to stay here until 5 o'clock every single day. And she said, no, I can't. I can't because I'm not going to put my, my family in, at risk and I'm not going to overwork myself and consume myself because there's things that God's given me to do and I've just got to focus on those things. And I'm sorry if that cost me anything. She just got an award for being the best. <laughs> and she's like, no. Sometimes it takes that sense of knowing who God is and what he's called you to do and knowing the purposes that God has in the things that he's given us and walking out in those things. This person says this. When you're more established in your field, you may be able to moderate your workload. However, at some point, even if it doesn't happen, you will have to trust God and honor Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, by practicing Sabbath and risk falling behind in your career. It may happen that you fall behind and yet retain your sanity. Or it may be that God will allow you to keep moving ahead in your career despite your practice of Sabbath and the gleaning principle. It's up to him. God's in control. That's what Sabbathing's about. God's in control. He's going to work things out. Last night I didn't know this, and tonight I do, or today I do. Tim Keller wrote this. The purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to do more production, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy your God, life in general, what you have accomplished in the world through his help, and the freedom you have in the gospel. The freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. The Sabbath is a sign of the hope that we have in the world to come. Father, we just pray. In this place, on this day. Lord, that we learn how to walk in a place of Sabbathing, of resting. That it not just be a day where we fall into it exhausted and worn out and we numb ourselves to the things that are available to us in this world. And then we just start Monday off exhausted and worn out. God, may it be a day we walk into full of joy and excitement because we know that we're spending time in your presence. 
and that you're recharging us, you're re-energizing us, you're reminding us that you're in control, that you're working all things out, that you care for us deeply, that you will take care of us, you will meet our needs, that you will satisfy us in every possible way. God, that we'll be reminded of our identity in you. God, that we ourselves and all that we do will be validated in your presence and the work that you've given us to do. God, help us to Sabbath, help us to rest and find ourselves in a place where we can say, God, I'm gonna trust your work more than my work because God, I know that you've given me a work to do. God, it's to show your goodness in this world. It's to show your mercy in this world. God, where you have me is a place you have me so that you can do some work in me. And God, I'm going to celebrate that in it instead of resist it. God, I'm going to do the work in reaching the people you've given me an opportunity to reach instead of running from it and hating my work. God, I'm going to step into it because I know and I understand now that I need to rest in you. And you've given me a day. You've given me this gift to be able to remind myself of that, to remember those things so that I walk out in my week full of energy and excitement and strength. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm able to be fruitful and I'm able to be purposeful. I'm able to be accomplished in the things that you have. God, in that, I'm going to find your kingdom. I'm going to find your joy. I'm going to find heaven today, and I'm going to find it for all of eternity, and I'm going to walk in your presence. Father, if there's anybody in here today, they're not able to find that rest because they do not have a place for their souls to rest because they've not made you Lord of their lives. God, I pray that today in this conversation, you've spoken to them. You've awoken their soul to their need of you. Father, I pray that for them, as they walk across the sidewalk, as they are walking out, God, may they begin just to marvel at your creation and your goodness of who you are. And God, I pray, Lord, that the breeze and the breath of your life will come across their face. God, that maybe in this moment as I'm praying, or God, maybe tonight as they're at home, or, or maybe in that moment, God, that they will pray and they will say, Lord, I need you. God, and they will bow their hearts to you and ask you to be Lord of their lives and make a vow of devotion to follow you in all of their days. And God, in that moment, they will discover rest in their souls and they will be able to work from that place of rest. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for your Sabbath. We thank you for the gift that you've given us in Jesus. God, that he is the rest under the rest. God, that even in the busyness of life and even in seasons of busyness, my soul can be at rest because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Father, we thank you for it. Help us to be a church. Help us to be a body that walks out of here today free and able to the work, do the work you've given us. God, help us to find rest today like we've never known it before. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great week. If you're uh, interested in the Southside campus, please make sure you make your way to the meeting next door. Other than that, have a great week. We'll see you back here next week.